Hello, welcome everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope you're having a great day today. Just a couple of quick announcements. First, be sure to follow us on social media to hear about any latest news, announcements, or events, and to just stay connected in general. Also, be sure to send in your prayer requests for further encouragement and support through prayer. That's all for me. Thanks, have a great day, and enjoy the service. Blessed be your name, 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Yes, Lord Jesus, we bless you, we thank you, we honor you, we praise you. Whatever situation we find ourselves in, whether it's good or bad or or it's a time of confusion or, or a difficult season, whatever it is, oh God. Please help us to always trust in you and to honor you, to look to you, and not to despair or to lose hope. Blessed be your name, Lord God. You are good. You are love. We love you. We give you our lives. Please have your way, we pray. In your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is found in Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through to 8. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. May God bless his word to our hearts and understanding. Hello everyone. Today is the third week in our summer preaching series which we've entitled Uncomfortable. We are considering scriptures where Jesus made those around him feel uncomfortable by the things that he said and the things that he did. We observe as we read the Gospels that Jesus made religious people feel uncomfortable and marginalized people feel safe. Sometimes the church does the opposite. We make religious people feel safe and marginalized people feel uncomfortable. The main focus of this series is this. If we, the followers of Jesus, are going to continue his work of making marginalized people feel safe, we must begin with a fresh exposure to the uncomfortable teachings of Jesus. We're going to continue our series today by considering an encounter that Jesus had with some Pharisees in a grain field on the Sabbath in Matthew chapter 12. One of the things that I miss now that my children have grown is reading books to them. There are some really good children's books. In fact, I think it would do a lot of adults some good to read some of these children's books. One of my favorite children's books 
is Mr. Peabody's Apples, written by Madonna. That's right, you heard me correctly, Madonna. Mr. Peabody is a history teacher and organizes baseball games with other schools every Saturday. After each game, Mr. Peabody would clean up the field with the help of a student named Billy Little. Then Mr. Peabody would walk home using the main street of Hapville and pick out the shiniest apple from Mr. Funkadelli's market and put it in his pocket. One day, a student called Tommy Tittlebottom saw Mr. Peabody do this and believed that he was not paying for the apple. Tommy told his friends that Mr. Peabody was stealing the apples and gradually the word spread across town. The following Saturday, Mr. Peabody wondered why no one showed up for the baseball game. Little Billy walked up to Mr. Peabody and told him everything. Mr. Peabody took Billy to Mr. Funkadelli's market where Billy realized that Mr. Peabody paid for the apples every Saturday morning when he picked up his milk. Astonished, Billy went to find Tommy and explained everything. Later that day, Tommy showed up at Mr. Peabody's house and apologized, asking how he could make it up to him. Mr. Peabody told Tommy to meet him at the bleachers with a feather pillow. Later that day, Mr. Peabody had Tommy rip open the pillow at the top of the bleachers and let the feathers fly away across the field. He asked Tommy to go and pick up the feathers, which Tommy thought would be impossible. It was then Mr. Peabody reminded Tommy that it is impossible to undo the damage he had done in spreading rumors that Mr. Peabody was a thief. Mr. Peabody's final words to Tommy are these. Next time, don't be so quick to judge a person. Remember the power of your words. As we consider our scripture today, we will see that when we engage in condemning others for their perceived sins, Sometimes we see guilt where Jesus sees innocence. My first point today, the actions of the disciples. Jesus and his disciples are walking through a grain field on the Sabbath. Now, grain fields often had paths around the perimeter, which served as boundaries or dividers between different people's properties. The disciples were hungry and they have a dilemma. It was not lawful to cook on the Sabbath, and it was against tradition to fast on the Sabbath. So you technically needed to be prepared ahead of time. Well, they had been ministering with Jesus and they'd been away from home, so consequently they weren't able to prepare food in advance of the Sabbath. So they reached out and picked some grain and ate it. There's no cooking involved whatsoever. In Deuteronomy, God clearly instructed that owners of fields could not harvest the fringes of their fields because it was to be left for the poor and for travelers who would be passing by to eat as was necessary. The disciples are not stealing the grain. They are not breaking any of God's laws by picking and eating the grain. My second point this morning, the accusation of the Pharisees. We need to be reminded that at this moment, the nation of Israel was occupied and ruled by the Romans. 
the Romans posed a serious threat to Israel's spiritual culture. The two remaining outward distinguishing marks of Israel's spirituality were Sabbath day practices and temple worship. The Pharisees took the responsibility upon themselves to protect as best they could what was still remaining of Israel's spiritual culture. They were rule makers. They were rule enforcers. They believed if they had a defined specific list of rules that would help protect what was left. So they went to great detail to take the guesswork out of what keeping the law should look like. The law was a fence, and so they were actually putting a fence around the fence. In Exodus chapter 20, we read what we call the Ten Commandments, and one of them, of course, is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The Pharisees had created a list of 39 categories of work that would violate God's desire for rest on the Sabbath. And then they had rules to support each of these 39 categories. They spelled out what one could do and what one could not do on the Sabbath in order to not violate this one commandment. Now, most of the Sabbath rules in Jesus' day were man-made with little, if any, direct scriptural support. Pharisees would regularly patrol the countryside on the Sabbath to watch for violators. They were likely on patrol when they observed Jesus' disciples picking and eating grain. They confronted Jesus and they said this to him, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Their rules equated picking the heads of grain as reaping and rubbing their hands together to peel the husks from the grain as threshing the grain. So both reaping and threshing were prohibited on the Sabbath, according to the 39 categories. The disciples were not breaking God's laws, but they were breaking the Pharisees' laws, the Pharisees' rules regarding the Sabbath. The issue is not a matter of whether the Sabbath should be observed, rather how the Sabbath should be observed. Thirdly, the approval of Jesus. The Pharisees took great pride in their knowledge of the scriptures. So Jesus responded to the Pharisees by focusing on scripture. He directed their attention to three specific biblical examples to show the Pharisees that their interpretation of scripture and the events of this particular day were not in line with God's word. The first example was David, and we see this, him referencing the story of 1 Samuel chapter 21. David was fleeing King Saul, who was trying to kill him. David and his companions were hungry. It was the Sabbath, and they entered the house of God and went to the priest. According to the law, 12 loaves of bread were to be baked fresh and placed in the tabernacle for each Sabbath as an offering to the Lord, representing the covenant between God and the 12 tribes of Israel. This bread could only be eaten by the priests. But the priest gave this bread to David, and he ate it. Technically, this was unlawful, but as you read scripture, you'll see that David is never condemned anywhere in scripture for this act. The intent of God's law was to serve God's people, not for God's people to serve the law. Jesus said, Sabbath was made for man. Man was not made for the Sabbath. And so Jesus asked them, haven't you read 
you guys must certainly know this scripture. The second example is that of the priests. The priests were required to work every Sabbath. Technically, the priests broke the law every week because they worked on the Sabbath, yet they were innocent in the eyes of God because they were serving God and meeting the spiritual needs of God's people. So Jesus then asked the Pharisees, haven't you read this in the law? I mean, obviously you understand that priests work on the Sabbath, but I want you to know that one greater than the temple, one greater than the rules, one greater than the practices is here. Now this was a serious sentence. One of the most prominent accusations made against Jesus was his perceived negative view of the temple. In chapter 24, he predicted the destruction of the temple and how that would symbolize the end of the old temple order. In chapter 26, it came up at his trial. In chapter 27, it came up while he's on the cross. And later in the same chapter, we see that the veil is torn at his death, declaring that a new time had come. He is greater than the temple. He is the temple replacement. And the third example comes from Hosea chapter 6. Israel had wandered from God and was compared to an immoral woman who had left her husband for other men. In love, God brought her back to him to restore her. Israel in Hosea's day was unfaithful to God, but yet they relied on offering sacrifices to appease their guilt in an attempt to not offend God. And God told them, that he didn't want their sacrifices. He didn't want their offerings. He didn't care that they were fulfilling the rules. What he wanted was to be acknowledged as the priority of their lives and for them to show justice and mercy to others. This was greater obedience to God than going through the motions of rituals. And so Jesus said, if you understood what these words in Hosea meant, you would never have accused the innocent. Once again, Jesus is saying, they knew the scriptures, but they didn't understand the practical implications of scripture. And the result is that they had condemned the innocent. Then he declared that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. Only God was deemed to be the Lord of the Sabbath, and so with this declaration, Jesus is claiming to be divine and declaring that the accused are indeed innocent. As an application today, there are three observations that I would like to draw on from our scripture. The first is protecting versus harming. Protecting versus harming. In an attempt to protect the spirituality of Israel through rules, the Pharisees ended up causing harm. As a parent, I can relate to this. I want to help my children. I want to protect my children. I want to be there for them. I want to set my children up for future success. But I have on occasion been guilty of smothering them, of trying to control things too much. And the result is Rather than bringing out the best for my children, I've accommodated them. I have limited their personal growth opportunities. I've denied them the privilege of making mistakes and learning from them. In the end, despite my good intentions, I've sometimes 
unintentionally done more harm than good. I believe the same can be said for us as followers of Jesus and as the church in general. We want to protect our spirituality against a counterculture that appears to threaten everything that we hold dear. In response to this, we create rules, boundaries, fences, if you will, around our beliefs and our practices, often discovering we have caused more harm to the kingdom of God than good in the process. You see, when we build fences, people fall on one side or the other. Often those fenced in feel trapped and those on the outside feel marginalized. Philip Yancey, the well-known Christian author, states in his book, Soul Survivor, I have spent most of my life in recovery from the church. Ouch. Sadly, I can relate to the statement and likely many of you can as well. I grew up in a home, in a church, that was very legalistic and placed a high value on outward indicators for holiness. A lot of rules were necessary to protect what they felt was important. I grew up with Sunday being a day of no sports, no work, you couldn't go on a boat, you couldn't ride your bike, you couldn't even use scissors. To prepare for Sunday dinner, you had to peel the vegetables the night before. My dad, not wanting to shave on Sunday because he thought it was a sin, would shave late on Saturday night. We had to wear dress clothes all day Sunday and just lay around waiting for the day to pass. To this day, I start to lose my breath when I come in contact with polyester pants. Divorce was the unpardonable sin. If you were permitted to attend church as a divorced person, you would never be allowed to participate or hold a position of leadership. Never. Dancing was a big one. Right from the pit of hell. If you attended a wedding, you got up and left when the dancing started. And not subtly slipping out, but leaving in a way that made a statement that what was about to happen was debauchery and you wanted no part of it. My parents and my church meant well. They wanted to protect us all, but in the end caused much more harm than good in many cases. Many of my family members and friends left the church and never looked back. Somehow, by the grace of God, I, I was able to survive it, to throw off the weight of legalism and find a way to live for Jesus as he intended. Truth is, anytime we feel the need to create extra rules to protect what Jesus said he himself is building, we will find ourselves causing more harm than good. Secondly, knowing versus understanding. Knowing versus understanding. Jesus made it clear that there was no question that the Pharisees knew the scriptures. Their problem wasn't in knowing, it was in understanding the scriptures. They didn't understand the intent, the meaning, the principles behind it, the spirit of the law. If you misunderstand scripture, you will most likely abuse scripture, even if you don't mean to. When it comes to scripture, there's a difference in knowing 
and understanding. There's a difference in memorizing it and understanding it. There's a difference in quoting it and understanding it. It's not enough to know it. We must understand it. It's not enough to understand it. We must live it. Over the years, I have changed my perspective on a number of things that I once, once believed that the Bible teaches. Now, often people will accuse those of us who change our perspective or our beliefs on certain issues as, well, we're getting away from the Word. We're, we're getting away from the Bible. We're, we're drifting. I would suggest to you today that any change in perspective that I personally have experienced has not come from getting away from the Bible, but in fact the opposite, from diving deeper into it. Not content just to know, but desperate to understand. The Bible is complex. It is written in three different original languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, which I'm assuming most of us can't read and speak. It's then translated into English, a language which is often limited in its translation. And so for this reason, it's important to really dig into Scripture. Hungry to not just know, but to understand so we can live it as God intended. On one hand, we need to rely on those who are trained and not see that as unspiritual, and on the other, be discerning of those who can lead us astray. And the Holy Spirit can help us with that part. Folks, who you listen to is very important. So side note, that's why you should always listen to me because I'm always right. Thirdly, guilty versus innocent. Guilty versus innocent. When the Pharisees saw the disciples picking grain on the Sabbath, they immediately saw and declared guilt, whereas Jesus declared innocence. What this passage teaches us is this. Sometimes spiritual people accuse others of sin when in fact in the eyes of Jesus, the very people they are accusing are actually innocent before God. We have to be careful when we engage in judging the spirituality of others. In fact, I would suggest today that it is not our place to judge. It is not our responsibility to judge, nor is it our right to judge the spirituality of others. We are here to share and demonstrate the love of Jesus to a broken and hurting world. Jesus said that he didn't come to condemn the world, but rather to save the world. How was he going to do that? By demonstrating the incredible love of God by dying on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Where we want to invoke judgment, Jesus wants to invoke grace. When we invoke judgment, there are two things that happen. First, we are drawing attention to our own arrogance. And secondly, we're demonstrating a lack of self-awareness. We need to be reminded today that it is those of us who are without sin that are entitled to throw the first stone. And when we're reminded of this, we quickly drop our rocks and we walk away. Then we're told to go and sin no more. So I want to ask all of us this morning, how is this working for you? How's that working for you? 
because I must confess, it's not working real well for me on many days. I'm an ongoing work in progress, trying to get it right. God working in my life, the Holy Spirit changing me day by day. When we engage in condemning others for their perceived sins, sometimes we see guilt where Jesus sees innocence. In conclusion this morning, I want to remind us, anytime we feel the need to create extra rules to protect what Jesus said he himself is building, we will find ourselves causing more harm than good. If you misunderstand scripture, you will most likely abuse scripture, even if you don't mean to. And sometimes spiritual people accuse others of sin when in fact, in the eyes of Jesus, the very people they are accusing are actually innocent before God. You are my joy, you are my song, you are the well, the one I'm drawing from. You are my refuge, my whole life long, where else would I go? Surely my God is strength of my soul. Your love defends me. Your love defends me. And when I feel like all alone, your love defends me. Your love defends me. Day after day,
Thank you for joining us this morning. If we can be of assistance to you, please reach out and let us know. We're praying for you. I pray that you'll have a great day and a great week. And until next time, God bless you.